Pod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 705. I'm your host, Jim McDowell, and with me, my co-host, as usual, Richard Jowett from the UK. Richard, what is going on this evening in the UK? Oof, well, uh, we've got some apologising and some catching up to do, I think is probably the main takeaway, Jim, isn't it? Because we've been off the radar for a week or so, which was not part of the plan, but for various reasons with work and life and one thing and another we kind of skipped a week so yeah just trying to have a kind of a quick catch up i suppose on aragon motegi you've been to barber for the final round of moto america there is a horrendously brilliant whatever you want to call it a bsb round at alton park last weekend got to touch on that just briefly and of course we've got uh, thailand moto gp this weekend so yes this is we're going to try and keep this as condensed as possible whilst climbing a mountain of news and action to try and catch up on uh yeah so we're gonna do our best guys here to kind of get you back up to speed give our thoughts and opinions at least on the major points that happened during those weekends i think what we'll do rich we'll kind of run through the aragon weekend Maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the BSB and Barber, then we'll finish off with everything that happened in Japan. But let's just start out with news. And mostly it's all around like riders and where they went and everything. A lot of it's dropped at Aragon. But we know that Joe Kelso is going to CF Moto in Moto3. Falon will go to CPI Green Power uh, Moto3. Anshu moves from the Satellite Tech 3 team to the more factory IO team in Moto3. But this is where it starts to get interesting is that Garcia, is going to go to uh, Moto2, and he's going to be on a Pons bike. I think that's interesting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his teammate, Guevara, is going to go to Gas Gas in Moto2 and team with Jake Dixon. I think it's pretty good for the two Gas Gas boys. I mean, they have been the class of the field this year in Moto3, so that's good. Uh, Akelba is going back to Grassini in Moto2. Arenas is believed to be going to KTM IO for Moto2. I don't know what I think about that one. That was the rumor being floated. I haven't seen confirmation on that one. Have you seen it in print anywhere, Rich, that that's true? I don't think it's official yet, but I do want to touch back on the IO plans for next year because I think that is the standout bit of news in terms of Onchu and Arenas. But we'll come back to that perhaps in a second. Okay. Masia is going back to Leopard. He's leaving KTM IO. Augusto Fernandez is going to go to Gas Gas Moto GP. I, I think everybody knew he was headed there. His yeah. partner poll is just finally now it's official. So let's just chalk him up as 2023 Rookie of the Year right off the bat. I don't think anybody else can be Rookie of the Year but him. Well, true. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got that one already, pal. Remy Gardner, of course, in the whole fallout that's happened there, has found his feet at the GRT World Superbike Yamaha team. Interesting as well Yeah, that Remy chose to go there. I think Remy will do really well there. I do. I really do. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good move for him that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he needs to be in a less toxic paddock, which I do think MotoGP can be a toxic workplace and work environment there. And yeah. just when you thought MotoGP couldn't do anything more Formula 1-ish, they decided that we're going to Kazakhstan, which I didn't even realize Kazakhstan was actually a country. I, I knew Kazakhstan was like where the where the Russians had their space complex and launched things. I didn't know that it was its own country. So mm. it has its own it's its own country and it is hosting its own MotoGP race. And they showed you a picture of it and somebody tweeted out, gee, I wish I was Herman Tilka. 
you t- draw a code hanger, add squiggly bits, and turn in a turn in your uh, time card. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't even know if there's any up or down in that one. Do you? Well, Rich? I I don't know what's coming next. To be honest, Jim. I mean, it, as you say, it's a little bit Formula One ish, I suppose, in terms of the exodus from the traditional heartland of where the sport grew up in Europe and stuff, and chasing the money. I don't know Kazakhstan particularly as a place Jim as you say really I mean it's famous for being as you say the space city of the old USSR isn't it that's kind Mm of about as far as I know but that's all I got it's kind of desert-ish there I think I'm not I'm not real I think it's kind of like uh New Mexico-ish if you well not that everybody's been to New Mexico well you know what we're gonna have to have an off-season show of like how to fix everything that's wrong in MotoGP and like how to figure out to stop chasing money and draw people to it from the survey but we need to do that in another separate podcast all by itself. Yeah, that might take the whole of the off-season, Jim. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of semi-joking the last time we got together on this show uh, about a North Korean MotoGP race. It might I, to be honest happen. with you, I'm, I'm just waiting for any day for the announcement. Literally any day. <laughs> I, we could we could do the off-season as a series of podcasts all related to or about how we're going to fix MotoGP and whatnot. Because, good golly gracious people. Anyway. I think that pretty much gets us up to snuff on the news and movement and whatnot that we know of right now. I'm sure there'll be other bits and pieces that'll come down because I think pretty much it's set. There's a little bit in Moto3 that we don't know who's coming from the CEV or from the Italian Italian National Series or something like that. And we don't know, for example, where the likes of Munoz are going to land. You would guess, I think, probably that they'll be on the move as well at some point. But I just wanted to come back to the... Um, yeah. yeah, you wanted to say something about IO. Yeah, the IO thing, because, uh, I mean, we've opined on this show, particularly in regards to Dennis Onshu, mm-hmm. in terms of he's been in the Tech 3 squad, what, for probably three seasons, I'm going to say, at least, if not maybe four. And yeah, he... Th- this is just how I see it, Jim. So okay. he kind of feels like a rider that's matured quite a lot this year. Last season, Mm -hmm. and certainly in seasons prior, he always had that kind of aura around him of a guy that was likely to go off on one at any particular moment. And of course, he was involved in some pretty hair-raising incidents. I'm thinking of Austin last year in particular. You remember the massive... Oh, yeah. He kind of got blamed Mm -hmm. for, which I thought was a bit of of an injustice, really, because I don't think he was really too out of order on that one. But certainly he had been prior. And around the time that these incidents were happening and he was kind of just losing his way when he had quite obvious good chances to win races and he hasn't won a race in Moto3 yet, let's not forget. I remember you and I have spoken on numerous occasions about does he have the right people around him just to really harness all of that massive potential that is quite clearly there and has become more evident, I think, this year with some clear maturity and a bit more experience, obviously, in another year. Uh, chalked up on the board and I just think you know going into the Aki Io squad Io is so renowned as a person that is good at rider management and kind of cutting away all of the superfluous stuff and just getting them up to being championship winners I think next year is going to be a really interesting year for Dennis Onchu in that squad to see if he can suddenly come good and start winning multiple races and I kind of think he probably will and in a similar sort of way I think Arenas, if he's going into that squad in the Moto2 to replace 
Augusto Fernandez, who goes up to MotoGP. Again, he's a guy, second year, I think, of Moto2 now. Mm-hmm. He's fast, and he's been getting better and better and better, but he still crashes quite a lot, and he just needs that person, I think, to just kind of steady him down a little bit and make good on all the promise, if you know what I mean. So I'm super interested if, well, we know Onchu's definitely going, and we think Arenas is going. I'm super interested to see how those two guys get on next year with Akio managing them and pushing them forward. Could very well be the make or break type of season for him. He's got to, at some point, he has to come good. Yeah. So I'm not too sure which way that one's going to going to play out, but that's where it, where I think it is. So, I mean, well, you've got a situation like with uh, Jamal Masia, who is kind of starting to have all the hallmarks of a, Andre Migno, by which I mean somebody that's going to be perpetually stuck in Moto3, swapping between good teams, but never quite making it, you know, and sometimes these riders, they just need that thrust of of a team or somebody that's in the team that just really pushes them on up and through. Yeah. And, you know, I fear for Massey, really, because he keeps flip-flopping between the big teams, and that won't go on forever, of course, but you mentioned that he's going back to the Leopard squad, which I was personally quite surprised about i thought he would probably be looking to get on up to moto 2 a la you know foggia and a few others but yeah another year yeah. moto 3 which i'm not sure is the best thing for him really but we'll see let's look at what's going down at aragon while we're here yeah so we look at moto 3 qualifying the first one toba munoz Mino, rossi and tatai were all there kind of the odd men out of what we don't expect to be in that first session to tie uh, Munoz, Rossi, and uh, Forosawa, all for Sato, sorry, all came through. Uh, on pole after the Q2 session was Guevara, followed by Sasaki. Garcia was well down the pack as it turned out, but in the race, Guevara gets the whole shot, he takes off, he's followed by Sasaki and Holgardo. Uh, I hate to say it, but Guevara he led every single race. Uh, to win it in going away fashion. And quite honestly, I think it remained the top three sort of the whole way around. I, I don't want to say it was a boring race, but there was nothing happening in the front three. The only person who, uh, who basically decided he was going to ride through the pack. And as he tried to go uh, what, around turn 12, no, not 12, is it 11? The sweeper that leads to turn 12. I guess 12 is Marquez Corner. Uh, he just moved uh, Adrian Fernandez out of the way. I mean, it was it was an aggressive move. It was very aggressive. Just pushed him completely off the track. And then he was given the long lap of inconvenience <laughs> for his sins, which isn't a long lap inconvenience because he was right back at the end of the little. I don't know what I think about this one, Rich. What's your take? Is it, was, was that a just and fair penalty for Munoz given the incident uh i mean munoz has a i'm gonna sort of cite dennis onchu again on this one i think which is that i think possibly that penalty was more about trying to calm him down because he does have a reputation and he has been pretty what's the right word robust in some of his maneuvers so far this year let's uh put it that way i mean the the incident itself it was on the line wasn't it so i can kind of understand particularly in the context of a lot of the penalties that we see getting handed out. 
in recent times. I can understand how he got it, but I, it kind of felt a little bit like a little bit of a warning shot across the bows just to try and calm him down a little bit. I fancy that won't be terribly successful. <laughs> For me, it was Rubin's racing. I think it's a rubbing his racing incident that didn't deserve any kind of penalty. I do not know what camera angles the stewards have to look at, but I felt like the way Fernandez picked the bike up and ran off the track, given the small bump that Munoz did put on him, was kind of like a soccer player or a football player tumbling to the ground and, and rolling around in true agony when literally the guy barely ever touched him, right? It mm. was like, I'm going to do something, draw the penalty, as opposed to just get on with what's happening here, which is, in my mind, hard racing. But Moto3 is. It's not It's not a kiddie class. I mean, if they are the kids, right? Mm. But it's not a kiddie class. He's, this is world championship level racing. And, you know, you're supposed to have all your... Yeah, you're crapped together by the time you get out of that national series if you're coming onto the world stage. I thought it was just a normal move that Munoz made. He was legitimately alongside of Fernandez. It, it wasn't front wheel to front wheel. It wasn't like his front wheel was in his swing arm. He was pretty much dead even. And it was he was, you know, faring on shoulder. And Fernandez decided, I'm going to set it up and run it off. And I think just that optic was enough for race direction to say you need to go to the long lap. I don't think it's going to change Munoz at all, though. <laughs> no, I don't either. And, and unfortunately, and I, I mean, if we get a chance, I want to definitely want to touch on this with BSB because we saw, saw this starting to unfold for the first time at Alton Park last weekend. But we're kind of in a situation where any overtake manoeuvre that isn't 100% clean immediately gets investigated. And I just think that that's not really very helpful for the enjoyment of the sport for both for spectators and for the competitors themselves of course yeah it was a tough move and he did use Fernandez as a bit of a berm it's true but it's a cut and thrust series Moto3 you know up and down the field that's going on corner to corner so yeah um, I think Fernandez made a bit much of it as well but that's Fernandez and that's the clan the way they behave. And we we need to just touch on the qualifying incident, perhaps, if we get a moment. Go ahead, talk about it. Well. Oh, with the, in the pit lane where. Yeah, they, so. They held Fernandez. I didn't quite get all of what, what happened there. So I'll let you take it. I don't think anybody really knows quite exactly what was behind all of this. But let's just remember that uh, Adrian Fernandez was in that Max Racing Sterile Garda team Moto3 last year. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Uh, I don't want to go too out on a limb here, but I'm not sure that, you know, given the kind of entourage and fuss and palaver that tends to circulate around the Fernandez brothers, not sure that Adrian was terribly popular in that squad. Moved across to Tech 3 this year, kind of got that ride because his older brother was in at Tech 3 MotoGP. Interestingly, Adrian Fernandez will not be in the Tech 3 team next year uh, because his older brother is out of the Tech 3 outfit. So quite why those two mechanics felt it was a good idea to wander across and impede him going out. I guess he was going to try and catch a toe from Sasaki or perhaps, I don't know. But just a bizarre incident, really. I mean, very, very foolish for them to do it as well, because, I mean, there's so many cameras around. It's hardly as if it was going to go unnoticed. To be fair to Adrian Fernandez, I mean, they stopped him getting out and catching the toe that he was obviously looking to go out in terms of timing. So... 
But he kind of got his revenge the following day. I mean, Munoz uh, incident notwithstanding, it would prove to be Adrian Fernandez, I think, best ever result in Moto3. So, I mean, there's something to be said yeah. for a bit of fire in the belly, isn't there? But a, a bizarre incident. I mean, the two mechanics in question, just to kind of catch up on it, I think they got a €2,000 fine each. And yes. although with visas and you know the whole logistics arrangements and stuff they couldn't be prevented from going to last weekend's race in japan or indeed this weekend's race in thailand but they Mm -hmm. are banned from attending philip island and sepang which are the next two rounds so they won't be present at that and max biaggi there was again you know be careful on twitter because you know it it is literally the the hole into which all the violent hate of the world seems to get shoveled you know, loads of nonsense on there, you know, conspiracies abounding, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I just think these two guys took it upon themselves. Perhaps there was a bit of beef. What I don't know what happened, but Max Biaggi himself and the senior management, I think, in the Max Sterilgarda team were absolutely apoplectic about what had happened because it doesn't reflect well on the team, of course. Um, mm-hmm. there was some retribution fisticuffs, which resulted in some people ended up in hospital later on that evening. Really? I did not know that part of the puzzle. Mm. So, yeah. yes, a, a rather unsavory incident in terms of the afternoon and the evenings goings on and best moved on from, I guess. But um, but as I say, it obviously put a fire in Fernandez's belly because he had a very, very good race the following day. So, you know, funny how yep. things turn out. Yep. Uh, with a couple of laps to go, Colvara just pulled the pin and ran away from everybody. Yeah. But Munoz is an animal. He wound up racing his way back to a very high uh, finish, even though he was there. So Guevara would win, followed by Sasaki Hogardo with his best finish. He was on a podium. Yeah. Uh, Anchu, then Fernandez, Ortolo. Uh, Nos was then next. So he'd wound himself up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. Then Masia. So it was an amazing last lap. And the fight for fifth in that race was pretty spectacular. Yeah. So that was Moto 3. If we move to Moto 2 and quickly from qualifying, uh, we learned uh, that Bobier, Cam Bobier, was going to go back to Moto America. He will be on a BMW in the United States when he comes back again. Oh, is that, so, that's official, is it? Interesting. That's, oh, yes. Ah. That was very much being touted at Barber all weekend. So, Jim, as an American, so, so what's your feeling on Cam's decision? I'm mean, very honest and I think very sort of um, self-aware of him to kind of take the decision that he's taken. But I'm a bit sad, but I understand it. But what's your take? Mm. It's a very hard one for me. I want to see Americans, and I thought it was our best hope of doing that. And for him to not succeed, I, I understand his reasoning for coming home. I, I get that. He's 30 years old. He's homesick. He wants to start a family. I get that. Mm-hmm. I understand there's more to life than racing a motorcycle. But the real problem in my mind is just there's no good feeder series to develop American talent here. Uh, having seen a couple of the races this year, I will not knock Superbike race. They're good. There's a couple guys at the front that are very good. And the Supersport race is very good. But there is a huge drop off from maybe the first five people to maybe that sixth on down. Yeah. Which is a bit depressing. I'm not sure what we can do to get Americans there. But, you know, Nikki was good as an American. Colin was very good as an American going over there. 
they were good because they were they rode through some really Ben Spees was good because he rode against Matt Mladen. You know, Nicky rode against Colin. He rode against um, Miguel Duhamel. He rode against uh, I can't think if Spees was there at that time, but against Josh Hayes, against you know all these other people. Yeah, when the series was at a very high level of of competition, so they were they were prepared to go over there. I'm just not sure that we're prepared to go over there yet. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's there. We'll talk about this when we get to Barber. So what's your take on Sean Dylan Kelly then? Cause I mean, he's in his first season in moto two, isn't he? And he's, I guess he's learning the mm-hmm. ropes, learning the prototype chassis and lots of all of the new tracks, I suppose, from his point of view. So it's that difficult first year. Was he a super bike rider in moto America or was he coming? from uh, super sport? He was the super sport champion. Okay. And he won 12 races in a year. He was good. It was very good. He, I believe he is, uh, or sorry, that he speaks Spanish fluently. Uh So being in Spain was not going to be an issue. I just think, again, it's just, there's not the preparation. There's not the hard racing here that you're going to get over there. Mm. Um, I'm trying to cut him some slack in the fact that he didn't know the tracks uh, you get that like year to think about it, but usually you at least show some sort of improvement, either in one lap qualifying or something, so that you are showing that you are progressing. Yeah, but I, I really haven't seen any progression from him this year. No, I mean he's been all. firmly rooted and in the mid twenties, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and the kicker, yeah. I think, in that American racing squad in Moto Two, the kicker, I think, is who comes in to replace. Cam, because I mean, Cam, although I think we understand why he's coming back, he has shown at various points flashes of real speed and and real potential. I I guess my take on his decision is that he was very much focused on getting into MotoGP. And I think he knows now that that ship has sailed and he's not on it. So it's better for him to go back and earn some coin back in the Moto America, because I don't suppose he's earning much in Moto2 and yeah i don't know about that. if he's around uh, 30 yeah. then he's going to earn a lot more in, in america than he will in grand prix race and that's for sure yep so i'm kind Agreed. of curious to see who the american racing team bring into that squad i mean i'm kind of hoping that it might be rory skinner because he's part of that management squad and he did the couple of wild cards for them at silverstone and austria and did pretty well certainly did pretty well against sdk but yeah, it's it's a little bit depressing. But we kind of got the same problem in Britain in the sense that all our guys go up through the superbike class, and so they are more likely to end up in world superbike than in GP. I mean, Cal Crutchlow is an obvious exception to that, but I mean, he's a real outlier in that regard. So I think we're a bit further ahead in Britain than you guys are in America, yeah. but we're not we ain't on the same playing field as the Spanish and the Italians when it comes to feeders. No, nowhere no, near. No, not nowhere like... near. Yeah, look how long this took Garrett Gerloff to do well in World Superbike. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you you have that as well. Uh let's get back to yes. Aragon. Sorry, yeah. Tangents no, it's a, these diversions are going to happen. This is the show. This is us rambling on as usual. <laughs> uh, I think we had Ayagura, Cam, Otter, Vietti, all in the first uh, group. That was pretty wild. That we had those in there, especially Agura. Agura, Zaccone, and Vietti all got through. Then we went into Moto 
the second round of qualifying for Moto Two. Vietti was down. Uh, he's sitting, he's got this problem of crashing on me, and I don't is, but things finally got hotted up. Finally, Fernando Augusto Fernandez, Arenas, Dixon, Lopez, Kinnett, and um, our friend Pedro Acosta all there for the front six. And then in the race, Fernandez had that whole shot. Lopez went down at turn two. Um, Agura was in the back there towards the end. Arenas was down. Um, I'm not sure how he went down. It looked like he had a flat rear, maybe. Mm. I, you know, he basically lost it. I, I'm not sure that he actually had a deflation there, um, but it did look like, but later on you did realize that it was the bike having tumbled caused it to break the bead and the seal on the tire and then caused it to be flat. So at first, when I first saw it, I thought, Ooh, he had a flat tire or a leak, but it really wasn't. I think he just got it at too much throttle in hand and away he went, but it was a, it would became a race of basically Fernandez versus Acosta Acosta looking quite threatening for most of the time through there. Uh, he placed Fernandez and did slowly walk away because he did close on Fernandez. He then studied Fernandez. He then dissected Fernandez. And then he pulled away from Fernandez. Reminds you of maybe one Valentino Rossi with the <laughs> surgical strike and precision that yeah. he pulled off on them. Uh, but it was really interesting. That was the race there. It was was to figure out where was Agura going to wind up coming good at because uh, he was kind of rolling through the field. He was trying, but he wasn't making the progress that you thought he needed to make to get there because Acosta was gone. He won by a, a huge amount. Yeah, Fernandez basically slowed down because he didn't have anything to lose. He wasn't going to have to go battle his teammate, so he cruised it on into second. Kinnett would actually get Fernandez there towards the end and get to second. And so he was on the podium behind Acosta. Then Fernandez rounded out the podium, but Agura wound up getting all the way to fourth, which meant that the championship was tightening up when we thought Fernandez had a pretty good hold of it. And then Arbolino wound up being the uh, fifth man there. But I was pleased to see Acosta get another win. That's two in Moto2. Yes. Um, this kid is set to, it, I think we're, beginning to see the setting of the foundation of literally utter domination next year in the class. I hope not. I very much hope not, but uh, it definitely uh, looks to be rather interesting about that. So it's ominous. well done there. Ominous, it is. I suppose for everybody else, but let's not forget that Agura is staying in Moto2 next year. I'm pretty sure slightly uh, not, what he wanted which is a point i will try and return to a little bit later on but yeah costa what's odd about him and i know he's still carrying an injury and okay he was racing in aragon so it's kind of a home race for him but he's either kind of top 10 ish or he's looking like he can win do you know what i mean he's kind of a little Mm -hmm. bit hot and cold at the moment now i suspect as you say jim next year he's going to be properly bedded in right from the get-go provided he doesn't have some unfortunate silly accident in pre-season or something and bust a leg again or bust a wrist or whatever because that can happen but if you're a betting man you're going to say it's probably Ayagura versus Acosta next year but yeah you've got Gravara coming up I mean I don't know Moto2 has been a good championship this year the races it it's, it's weird the, the races tend not to be that exciting but they're kind of stealthy and slightly sort of game of chessy aren't they and that's yeah, reflected yeah. in the 
in the points table really with the top mm -hmm. two guys being so close together and it's going to go right down to Valencia I think this one mm -hmm. um, this one's coming be down to it the end yeah oh yeah it, I think I think there's going to be two championships decided at Valencia I think one will already be taken care of that's, yes uh, so we'll, I think we'll you're right that. we'll get yeah. to we'll get to all that we'll get <laughs> yeah. to that we'll get to that foreshadowing people foreshadowing uh Moto GP I think this is what we all really wanted to 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 see or to look at uh if we had we led qualifying we had Marquez in back again right he he had come back this is was to be his first round back after the injury right we didn't think he was going to make Aragon he did uh he was in the session he you could tell he was looking for a reference he couldn't you know looking for that timing thing he wanted to follow somebody to try to see what was going on uh he did however uh get did not get through Zarco and Alicia Spargaro would take the two spots to move in and Marquez would start from 13th on the grid mm. I think there was something like something, that yeah quite, quite 13, a way down 13 somewhere down yeah quite a way down quite a way down but there but uh the second qualifying was the fact that it was a Bastianini, Vanyaya, Miller kind of combination that was there. And, you know, basically it was Vanyaya on who got to the pole, Miller, Bastianini, Aleish, Zarko, and Bezecchi with Quattro falling back to ninth. He was, Quattro was amazingly quick in the first two sectors, but the last two sectors of the lap, he was just being utterly handed it to him by the. <laughs> powerhouses that are ducati and the yamaha can't run that 2023 motor yet yeah uh, as you correctly pointed out rich because it has not been homologated yeah so interesting with quattro being that far down on the grid and having the ducatis out front wondering what can quattro do to to not uh how do i put this to not lose to lose as few as points as possible to the ducati horde was what you see. And so when we get to the race, Brad Bender and Mark Marquez get probably two of the greatest hole shots of the year <laughs> where they came from and simply rode around the outside of everybody at the beginning of turn one. Marquez had got himself all the way up to seventh place. I think Bender had made it to sixth. Um, Benyaya and Miller. Miller had the hole shot. Benyaya was behind him with Bashini filtered in there somewhere. But the big thing was the huge crash Quattro had having run into the back of Mark Marquez. I want you to go first on this one, Rich. How did you see that incident? Again, setting aside all the stuff that you read on social media and stuff, because it all went a bit crazy. I just think it was one of those typical first lap things where there is an argument to say, you know, Mark Marquez turns up and all hell breaks loose all of a sudden. <laughs> it, it does sort of tend to follow him around because he's that kind of a rider, isn't he? But yeah, I don't think it necessarily had anything to do with him. Well, maybe it did have something to do with him having been out for a few rounds. You know, he's going to be a little bit kind of race rusty, I suppose. But for whatever reason, he just spun the rear up. And that happens a lot on first laps because there is so much to be gained and so much to be lost on first laps. It was just one of those... I think, unfortunate racing incidents where, yeah, Mark spun it up, reacted by, you know, just taking his taking the throttle off a little bit, let's say, and Quattro was just so close behind him that he just had nowhere to go. And it was just as simple as that, Jim. I don't think there's anything more or less to say about it, really. It was a nasty incident. Well, it was an incident, obviously, that would carry on a couple of corners later. But in terms of Quattro, 
he just had nowhere to go. And then, well, funnily enough, I mean, I, I haven't ever quite gotten to the bottom of, you know, the injuries that he suffered on his chest. I think what, what I <laughs> Part heard... Of it was he fell off the scooter too. But, well, exactly. And that bit went slightly less reported, of course, on the, on whilst the race was going on, because nobody saw it happen. But my understanding is possibly that as the bike went over him, as, as he came off and went into that kind of tarmac runoff area, somebody that I was listening to on a podcast suggested that the back tyre kind of went over his chest and kind of pulled the zip down as it went over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yep. then tumbled and was on his front, sliding across the tarmac. So obviously that would be one reason why he would get lots of abrasions on him. As you say, subsequent to that, there's a story going around that he was on the back of the recovery scooter and the scooter basically was going far too fast and had a head-on collision with another scooter. And he fell off that as well. But luckily he had his crash helmet on because it was quite a high impact collision by the sounds of it. So by the time he was wobbling his way back in to the back of the garage, you know, on camera a few minutes later, he had actually had two crashes, neither of which were his fault, arguably, you know. But, you know, that's just the way a bad Sunday can go sometimes, I guess. Yep. I thought that the best comment about that incident, the end all be all for me, was Ben Spee's tweet. So mm-hmm. did you see Ben's tweet? Nope. For those of you who didn't see Ben's tweet, this is what Ben tweeted about the Mark Marquez Quattro incident. After the comments about yesterday's race, I just got to shake my head. You try to take advantage, but spin the rear with a cold tire that makes you check instead of it spinning. Then you get hit from behind when that person, Fabio, can't see from his style. I'm not blaming him. There's context, just like, Taka's front wheel landed landed crossed up and pulled him towards Mark's bike for that last bit of difference. There's chess or checkers for people that can't HTFU, which I'm not sure what he's abbreviating there. I I know I think the last two letters I get, but the first yeah. I'm not too sure what he's got there. But keep anyway, it, keep it clean. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's racing, not 2022 politics. Glad I just have to read this BS than live it. That's for sure. Mm. Which if you watch that at incident again ben is completely correct on what happened a takes the run at bastianini lifts him up wow there's now a space for marquez to go oh is a racer not going to take that chance and go there he did mm. what did he do he went for the throttle what happened cold tire spun up what do you do check up because your instinct is going to tell you to back off Quattro being 60 degrees over the bike on the other side of the tank can't see what's going on and winds up plowing into the back of Marquez and goes over the top. It, it's the conspiracy theories that people are discussing that he was Marquez was trying to do some kind of mind game over Quattro for next year is ludicrous. No, I'm a- sorry. That is the definite is the definition of racing incident people. Yeah. yeah. Purely yeah. the definition of a racing incident. Now, if you want to take some, some, swipe at marquez you could take it for what happened as they come around to get to from 13 they go past the rock wall there aragon i think that's 13 and 14 no, it's going down towards the mini corkscrew as they call it is oh, okay all the reverse corkscrew i think okay. they call it don't know okay yeah yeah okay so it was there sorry mixed up a little bit on the track there marquez now has a bike that's failing him which is because the wing that's on the front of the yamaha got wedged between the swing arm and the rear wheel of Marquez's bike. Now, Marquez doesn't know that that's the problem. He just knows that the bike has no power. 
Now he's in the middle of a pack. He has no power in the bike. Now, should Marquez have had a hand up, a foot out, something to warn people that he was going slow? That one I'll give you. But the worst thing is from having dirt tracks and stuff and we've had a bike that sees or starting to hold a piston, something like that. You're scared because you're in the middle of something and you don't know how to get out of it. You're trying to figure out how to get out of it. But Marquez couldn't figure out how to get out of it. If you look closely, he's looking over both shoulders trying to figure out how he's going to get out of the problem that he's in. Simultaneously trying to figure out if he's like leaking any oil or if it's something that is really wrong with the bike that he needs to truly really get off of it. So all of this is going through him at one time. To which Nakagami comes up basically almost unsighted. And as Ben says, the front end comes down the wrong way after the impact. It's just dumb luck that it folds towards Mark and yeah. goes into Mark and then causes Nakagami to crash and slide past everybody to, towards the reverse corkscrew. But, you know, everybody was able to avoid Nakagami. That's racing there, you know. Now, Marquez continues on. I don't know. I think he should have perhaps maybe just ran off at the reverse corkscrew and at least figured it out or checked it or whatever. But the second impact of Nakagami knocks the wing out of the, between the wheel and the swing arm. Suddenly the bike seems like it's running again. Right. So Marquez <laughs> kind of keeps going with it. Right. Only to be into the pits and have a, um, uh, uh, Sanan was what's his Sananda Sante. Oh, Sante Hernandez. Yeah. Sante, yeah, yeah. Sante Hernandez. That's it. Thank you. Uh, to actually go through, and say, nope, that bike's done. So I think like the rear ride height system was broken or had become dislodged or something on it as that. So folks, I'm sorry. I'm calling this one as just a pure racing incident. Marquez had nothing that he, there was, there was nothing vicious there. I mean, yeah, Marquez has the assassin's smile. Yeah, <laughs> Marquez is going to play mind games with these guys next year completely. But that one wasn't it. He was just racing and that was just the dumb luck. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Yamaha for having a motor that can't keep Quattro in the front. Because if Quattro hadn't qualified in ninth, is Quattro involved in that accident? Yeah, but not it's, it's, it's racing, Jim, isn't it? I mean, exactly. That's, that's all it is. You know, that is that is literally all it is. I think, unfortunately, I think what was kind of overshadowed in all of this sort, sort of melee, let's call it was just what a brilliant return to action it was from Mark Marquez, you know? I mean, obviously he was caught up in this big first lap incident, well, two first lap incidents, and it rather overshadowed the fact that, you know, he was quick straight out of the box, you know, and let's not forget, he's probably still only, I guess, at 70% fitness. I mean, who knows? And he certainly ain't race fit, that's for sure. And it was a phenomenal performance by him that weekend. And, Obviously, we'll get to Japan in a minute, uh, where you know the trend continued. But a ray of hope for Honda as well, really, uh, because nobody else is really managing to do too much to give them any good reason to have a big beaming smile. So, I mean, as we've said, boy, do they need Marquez back fit. And whilst he's not quite fit, it was a very promising return and slightly overshadowed by what went on, but it wasn't his fault. Nothing was deliberate. It was just one of those things. And, you know, he had a much calmer Sunday just gone, which we'll come to in a moment. So number one, our MotoGP weekend's better because Marquez is back. I think so. Yeah. He saved, he saved a big, huge tuck at turn. Oh, massive. 12. Yeah. It was massive. Picked it right back up. Like yep. nothing's happened. Yeah. Like 
okay, he can ride again, which also goes to make you really wonder if Marquette is it is it the bike is bad. That's all we've heard. How bad this Honda is, yet Marquez shows up on it and don't look half bad. He makes the bike look good. So is it just is it that this kid? Marquez is not a kid, but he is to me. If he's <laughs> if he's just that good that he can make that bike that's that bad look that good, mm. or is it the KLX swing arm that's helping him become that good? Because I think he did run the aluminum swing arm, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, so I don't know. I'm sure anyway. he did. The only other person yeah. in the pit lane that I could kind of immediately springs to mind as being anywhere close to Marquez, not in terms of his record yet, because you know he's relatively new starting off but i guess would be brad binder who is you know doing that mark marquez thing of taking a bike mm. that is let's say deficient in certain key areas and and quite inconsistent they very, probably they found very something specific and he is riding around the problems regularly now and mm -hmm. making the bike do things that really the bike shouldn't do and is not being done with other riders on the same equipment that's the key thing i think isn't it and yep. you can certainly say the same thing about Quattro on the Yamaha. Correct. I mean, it's almost as if you now have three new aliens. Marquez, I would say Binder, so. yeah. and Quattro, right? Yeah. Because those three guys are doing something on a motorcycle that nobody else can do and making it look easy when they do it. Yeah. Isn't that what the definition of an alien, an alien is or was? I, I think so. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do. No, I think so. So, yeah, there you have it there. Anyway, uh, we'll just quickly wrap this one back up uh, real quick. It became a battle between uh, Bastianini and um, Benyaya to see who was going to come out on top on this one. It was it was that last lap thriller that I think we all have been wanting to see, and it's a it's mouth watering taste of what those two in the same factory like are going to be. This is going to be. I'm trying to think of a group of teammates that hated each other as bad as these two guys are going to hate each other. Oh, I, think I can't into, really think of one. Well, I think we're going to be into cross center territory. I know we're, I'm skipping across. Well, the yeah, one again, I could, yeah. These two I guys... was thinking of motorcycle teammates. <sighs> okay. And I let, can't think of one off the top me, of my head. Well, but... I mean, Rossi, uh, Rossi Lorenzo. Yeah. That's probably a pretty good one. That's That'd probably be the, the close, modern, yeah. probably the most modern equivalent. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much harmony in that garage next year. Let's just put it that way. No, watching Ducati manage these two guys is going to be interesting. Well, anyway, it was not, the not last lap. Jim. <laughs> watching Ducati <laughs> yeah. not manage them is going to be interesting because that's what they generally yeah. do. <laughs> that is true. Um, so basically, uh, Bastianini would go by at turn seven. He tried and tested uh, Benyaya at different points in the track. He had never tried a turn seven, but he did pull it off a turn seven. It was a clean pass, super clean, super effective, clinical, I would use for that. He winds up getting by him, and the Beast would win by four hundredths of a second. And Benyaya uh, would be second. Aleish would ride to the podium in third, followed by Bender in fourth. With the, you know, as you said, Bad Bender making the KTM look good and riding around its deficiencies. And then Miller, and then Martin. So... Ducati, with that, winds up uh, winning the manufacturer's championship title contender for that. So that was Aragon. I've got a question. And the mayhem that it was. I've got a question yeah. for you, Jim, which isn't Aragon specific because we've seen this at rounds. But as we get towards the tail end of this season, this issue becomes more and more pertinent. 
And that is when you see Bastianini and Bagnaia, and it's tended to be them this year, let's remember, kind of duking it out, or more particularly Bastianini kind of putting moves on Bagnaia, and then you cut to pits, as I hate that they do all the time, but in this case it's helpful. So then you see uh, Davide Tardozzi in particular kind of running around like, you know, <laughs> mad grandpa, kind of getting all irate about the situation and you think well hang on guys <laughs> i mean you caused your own problem yeah so kind of <laughs> i full sort of declaration there i'm not a fan of team orders i think it's you know if you want to win the riders championship you got to go out and do it on your own that's yes. kind of from a sporting point of view and a purist point of view that's my opinion i don't want to see bastianini pulling over and letting banya get more points and luckily in this case he's certainly not doing that but from a commercial standpoint again i was listening to another of the podcasts that i regularly listen into and they were kind of estimating that ducati you know audi group whatever you want to say since casey stone last won the championship in 2007 these guys were conservatively saying that the ducati brand has probably spent somewhere around about three quarters of a billion euros on the moto gp project and they haven't won a riders championship in that time and over the last few seasons and definitely this season where they have a very good shot of winning it they are commercially shooting themselves in the foot by not imposing team orders because there are so many ducatis out there i just thought it was hilarious really watching you know the management in the works ducati squad running around like headless chickens getting all bothered about the fact that bastianini was putting moves on banyaya when it's presumably within their gift to go down to grassini and say we know you're your own team and we know you've got your own sponsors but there's a big picture here and ducati the brand needs to win a riders championship i think there's an argument to say that Bastianini has already done this year what he needed to do, which is to get himself into the work squad next year. And I think he's going to be rampaging next year. I mean, I think Bagnaia is toast in that team because I just think Bastianini is one of those guys that he's just not going to stop. And he doesn't care if there's collateral damage around it. Plus, he's a great rider and he's, you know, he's got this knack of, you know, holding on to his tyres and making moves at the end of a race so you know this is really i think banyar's one and only shot in the near future of winning the championship and but yeah i just what's your view on the whole kind of team order should they shouldn't they think jim sorry that's me asking the question and taking 10 minutes to do it but you know everybody's watching this unfold and ducati getting all irate about it and i'm thinking why the hell don't you just deal with this before the guys get on the bikes uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I despise team orders. I hate that. I hate it in Formula One and I hate it here. I think motorcycles are more of an individualist type of sport to begin mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Ducati created their own, has their own problem because of what they've done and they have, you know, all the grid, all the bikes. I do think that this is a great opportunity for Benyaya to win a championship. And if you're going to let Bastianini cause you a problem, that's not good. But on the flip side, though, I admired Ducati saying, hey, look, you're free to race as long as you can pass Benyaya cleanly. Exactly what Ben Benyaya did. You create your own monster that's going <laughs> to cause you to have a problem. And if you think that next year is not going to be sort of runaway thing, it, it isn't. Because Quattro's new Yamaha motor is definitely going to keep them 
keep pace with everybody, or at least put Quattro in the window at tracks that he was not at before, right? Magello, Aragon, let's say Sepang, right? Those mm-hmm. places where you got the long, the really long straightaways that are that, at that Austria, uh, where you need to have that power to get there. The, the, the cat amongst the pigeons and all this is Mark Marquez, <laughs> right? Because yeah. you throw that in there, and it's just going to be all wish, wash, bang, slam, like some of the craziest riding you're ever going to see. So from a, I mean, the question becomes if Ducati is okay with losing that equity of, of what'd you say? Three quarters of a billion euros. If they're okay with losing that equity without getting a return on it, because they're still selling motorcycles and people still buy a Ducati brand bike, then okay. But if you're, marketing department says hey we need a world title to say we won on the best bike you've got to you've got to sort of turn around and go but yeah but we won this constructor's title which means we build the best bike right mm. i don't know uh I, that's my thought i i don't want team orders i think that they can do what they ever what they want to do i think it's your your marketing team that needs to to market properly for whatever it is that you win I think the problem for Ducati is that if they don't win the championship this year, everyone's going to look at them and say, well, you, you know, you th- literally threw it away by, and they're almost, I think you just mentioned this, by having so many good bikes out there, they're kind of robbing points off each other all the time. Whereas, you know, for one reason or another, let's say Yamaha with Quattraro, all of their eggs are in that one basket. So it's him or nobody at the moment, let's be honest. And yeah. it's we've seen the same with Marquez on the Honda in recent years. I don't know. I like you. I don't want to see team orders coming, and there's nothing more depressing than watching somebody on the start finish straight slowing down to let somebody pass them to take the points. You know that is not a, a from a sort of a, a romantic point of view. That is not a very kind of edifying sight to see people winning in that way. And I'm sure Banyai doesn't want to win in that way. But at the same time, there's this commercial pressure on Ducati and this open goal. It feels like to me to take this year's championship and they're sort of screwing it up at the moment and let's not forget Bastianini is actually still mathematically in the in the title hunt as well so there's every reason for him to fight his own corner but there is a bigger picture in all of these things always and yeah and then you see them all running around you know Paolo Chabatti looking crestfallen Gigi Delinia just doing his Gandalf impression, stroking his white beard all the time in the in the pits. Uh, and why we have to be subjected to about five minutes worth of that coverage <clears> at every bloody race is beyond me. But uh, and then yeah, Grandad, you know, running around looking as if he wants to rip everybody's throats out. So it's just hilarious to watch. Um, yeah, interested to know what the listeners think about what Ducati should or shouldn't do in this situation because it's a bit of a head scratcher, really. Yeah, it is. Does that finish up? I think that's Aragon. Okay. Yeah. We're going to go to Motegi. Yes. Let's go to Motegi. So uh, because I was at Barber, I did not get to see any of the qualifying sessions, say for the MotoGP qualifying session. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the race from a Moto3 standpoint, we had torrential downpour basically for qualifying on that morning. I do not remember who started on pole, but I know that Guevara, did not have the best qualifying session and he had an amazing start to get himself up. He passed eight riders in the first eight corners <laughs> to get himself to the front yeah. at the end of the first lap. 
he and Sasaki and who was the other Fulgia uh, was up and Fulgia was yeah. there. And on, I think Anchi was kind of h- hanging on in there as well. But that front group of three was really kind of dominant uh, as it turned out with Guevara taking a win in what was a fantastically well-timed, well-placed ride to increase his points lead over his teammate Garcia, who again seemed to have lost the plot, uh, which is like not sure what happened there. Mm. And, you know, it was a good race. The interesting thing was that was Suzuki had he crashed his yes. bike. Yeah. So he was the one who was also in the mix at the very at the very beginning, which left Fazia there. And Fazia was able to snag a podium, which kind of keeps his championship hopes alive, but it's not the best chance there. And this is Guevara's championship, I think, now to lose having having him win, having uh, Sasaki be be on the podium in second, and then Fazia taking the final spot. I think Anchi was another fourth in there again, and it was you know it wasn't the greatest Moto three race that you're ever going to see, especially given that they were in Japan. It just didn't material. It just didn't materialize. No, but- as you said, Jim, you kind of had a few sort of small groups that developed quite early on in the race, and not too many fallers. Just kind of slightly unusual but Mategi is that kind of slow corner fast rate heavy brake in slow corner and it kind of goes on and on like that doesn't it so I'm not a track that I particularly warm to I suppose well I think we'd all like to go back to Suzuka but Suzuka is not safe enough for MotoGP well okay I'm not trying to be health and safety here and be all nanny state but there are some corners there that you can't do much with them yeah Right. Yeah, that's the I mean, problem. If, yeah. if you don't think it's not bad, that's Suzuka. I give you Gina Ray on a you know essentially a world endurance bike, which okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're not Moto GP equipment, so they're definitely not going as fast as anybody else there, but you gotta sit there and scratch your head and go, Okay, well, you know, what are you gonna do about it? And anybody that saw what would it have been about three years ago, I guess, three or four years, just sort of pre COVID, I guess it would have been Casey Stoner turned up mm-hmm. at the eight hour and had a monster crash going into Spoon Curve. And I mean, there's just no runoff there at all. And, you know, he was lucky not to be really quite badly injured. And the bite was just bits. You, you know, that was a proper skip job with nothing salvageable, I should think. So, I mean, Suzuka is, is sketchy. But, you know, a word we just going back to Gravara anyway, Jim, I mean, pinching mm-hmm. your thunder a little bit here. I mean, you wrote in the notes earlier on. I mean, that was a champion's ride. And, we use the term momentum a lot on this show and boy, does that guy have momentum at the moment? I mean, let's not forget the only two races, I think I'm right. saying the only two races he hasn't scored in this year was Argentina where his chain snapped. I think it was, or he certainly yeah, lost, he had that he, weird, yeah, that he weird, lost drive anyway. Weird, yeah. And Silverstone where he was taken out by Ortona, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise he's scored and scored big at every single race. And with Garcia kind of, as you say, just, dropping away and losing all of his form again, as he's tended to do in past seasons. Peaks and valleys with Garcia. Running rampant, isn't he? And I just don't yeah. think anybody can stop him now, unless something you know unpleasant happens in terms of an injury or something. I think it's a 40-point lead that he has. Yeah, I've got it written down here somewhere, I think. But 
I'll keep talking and I'll come back. Yeah, um, sorry, 45 <laughs> points. Yeah, 45 40, points. 45 so, points. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting dangerously close to clinch territory, right? Yeah. Especially if Garcia can't shelve this momentum, right? Mm. I mean, you know, he's got to find something. And, you know, I was trying to think. They said that Munoz was the only rider in Moto3 who hadn't been to Motegi before. So that must mean that all these guys have seen Phillip Island too because it's been the same amount of time, three years that we weren't at Motegi three years we haven't been at Phillip Island yeah, so okay. hmm. so take that for what it's worth I mean you know they're gonna have to figure it out here um in Thailand again which should be attractive favors KTM break stability on braking yeah fast transition there towards the end of the lap that should be a KTM Moto3 track to go that for them to be at you would hope that Garcia would get it figured out and be near the front with Guevara but who's to say what we got four rounds to go, including the yes. engine. So Thailand, uh, Australia, Sepang, and uh, Valencia to yeah, finish it off. The go kart track to finish. So I mean, <laughs> hundred points on the table, and he's points on the table. almost he's got half 45. of those in the pocket. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. starting to look like a done deal, isn't it? Yeah, you and thoroughly kind of... deserves it as well. I mean, oh yeah, way deserves Completely. it. I think he was your pick for the championship, Jim, as well. If I don't yeah misremember, yep. Thayer Guevara would have a great shot at it. You know, yeah. he had he had showed that he had because he had he was he had won he Guevara won the race in Texas, having been stopped as a result of Anchu's incident. Mm. And you know, kind of like the bike and then the bike broke in the restart, but they had to go backwards again and all that craziness yeah. to give him that run. And I thought, man, that was the that was that you kind of sense that moment where he broke through and he's just kind of sort of continued on that trajectory. Agreed. So yeah. Uh, that's Moto three. Uh, does there really anything else there, Rich? That you no, know? I don't I, think I, so. I, I no, don't think not, there is. Not. I mean, I got up at you know um, four o'clock in the morning to watch that, and <laughs> was sat there drinking my coffee, thinking I wish I was in bed. <laughs> it wasn't a great. Well, well, not the most captivating race by Moto three standards, anyway. I don't think there's actually a good. I don't think I've. Really, I mean, there's been a few Moto GP races that are good at Motegi, but the lower classes are not that fantastic mm. although moto 2 is a different story so moto 2 again sorry i apologize guys i did not see the qualifying so i can't really make a quick comment on on that but we do know that agura started pretty far back from a poor qualifying in the rain yeah again i think he was like 13th or 14th or something on the grid it was it was a yeah, he's pretty far back yeah so it it's it that race started out with uh who was who got the whole shot rich and got out front i can't remember trying this all by remembering i having watched it oh. uh, sitting at barber with a bit too much to drink <laughs> yeah and again it was kind of like five five, five in the morning for me so yeah uh, let, let me see I've, I've got my notes here um lightning starts from Kanet and aldiger yeah that's it Kanet and aldiger are there so Kanet is actually pulling away and i'm thinking it's bow tie time, people. Mm. We're gonna figure out what bow tie is all about. But nobody really was focused at the front. Everybody was focused on Agura because Agura just started to just pick people off in the pack. Agura just had a rhythm that would just was just moving, 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 putting people going forward, right? And it was one of those things where it was really interesting to watch that Agura was, you know, out front almost. You know, it became, is he going to get to the front? And he kind of got there. And then it's like, can he actually go to the front front? And it was like, well, he caught the lead pack. And 
Kinnett does what Kinnett does when he's out front leading by a mile. He crashed, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm like, okay, well, you, that really stunk that you that that happened, right? So for whatever reason, that really left the door. That was a lucky break that Agura got was Kinnett actually falling because that was the impetus for Agura to actually go to the front and then win the race. So he was the first Japanese rider to win at home since uh, they said it, but I can't remember Hiroshi Ayama. yeah. His boss, was, in fact. <laughs> his, that's right. It was, that's right. It was his boss. So a hell of a ride by Agura. I mean, that's my big thing was Agura's ride. He, It's one of those things where you're going like, okay, we talk about it. It's that, it's that whole champion's ride. Well, it was like, okay, Agura did what Agura needed to do because, I mean, he even wound up riding by Fernandez. Now, Fernandez did finish on the podium in second, right? And then, you know, Lopez held on on the on the Bosque Cora. But it was just one of those rides where it was just seemingly everything was just perfect for Agura. Like him and the bike were working as one. He, he had great grip, great tire life. He was want for nothing. It was just that dream day where all the stars and planets aligned. And then you got to ask yourself, is Agura not being on Nakagami's bike in MotoGP next year the wrong move? Are you asking me? I'm asking. I'm at. That was a okay. Sorry, didn't have enough inflection. Rich, do you think that was the right idea? Terrible, <laughs> terrible decision by HRC, in my opinion. I kind of understand what they're up to. I mean, they they need a small amount of continuity. Uh, I I think maybe even HRC must be asking themselves this question a bit more hard in the mirror after that performance last Sunday. Now, okay, you might say, well, perhaps it's a bit too little, too late for Magira, but. I don't know. Um, I, I just think that Nakagami's had his chance on the big bike. And I think, you know, they've got a young Japanese fast kid who might win the championship. Or if he doesn't, he'll be second for sure. Yeah. Why not put him on the big bike? You, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but OK, they've got Rins coming in. He's an unknown quantity. I've got my doubts about Rins on the Honda, if I'm honest. As much as I like Alex Rins, and I do, he's my favourite rider in many respects. But I've got my doubts about the Honda move. I wish he'd ended up on the Aprilia. And, you know, Mia, okay, he's a world champion, but... I've... There's an asterisk on that championship, right? Well, sort of. Sort of. Mm. Yeah. I think the bigger asterisk for me is is on the Honda move really as to whether he can make that work particularly if Mark Marquez is back in the team and sort of firing on nine out of ten cylinders I think that's going to be a whole problem all of itself for him to contend with so I just think at that point they they need a young kid that can just learn from all these older more experienced guys and you know perhaps ruffle a few feathers at the same time and they've uh, I mean they haven't lost a gear he'll stay in Moto2 and then he'll probably move up the following year but for me it's a wasted year yeah Particularly if he if he does win the championship, which he might well do. Yep. So Agura wins, you know, first win in Japan since Hiroshi Ayama. Augusta Fernandez would finish second to keep the championship, like really super close. Two points. Lopez on the podium, right? Two points. Then it was Dixon, Chantra, and Arbolino, and Acosta would be seventh. Arenas was eighth. Bowman Center ninth, and Salach tenth. Again, this was. There was really nothing going on in the other part of the race other than everybody paying attention to what Agura was doing. And he basically just rode through 
on a champion's ride to get there. And it's a two point difference between. Yeah. Fernandez leads by two points over Aguero. This one is going to the wire, folks. Yeah. In Valencia, guaranteed. Make sure you set your, if you're in, like me, make sure your alarm clock is set for like, you know, five in the morning so that you can get up <laughs> for this one because it's really going to be a good one. With that done, uh, let's do MotoGP. Yeah. The rain happened. And who winds up on pole? Would you have thought it would have been the man who was on pole, Rich? It could not be, could it really? It, could I mean, it just not had to been. be, didn't it? It had to be. <laughs> you had the wet, you had you had rain, you had somebody, and Marquez puts that bike on pole. Uh-huh. 1,071 days since his last pole in Japan. So that's like over three years yeah. that he had between poles. If Marquez just simply wins another race, it's going to seriously cement his legacy. If Marquez comes back and wins a championship, it's arguable that that he will have the greatest comeback in the history of all sport. To go through that injury and then come back and win a championship, that if he can do, if he can, yeah, if he can, it'll be, it would be pretty amazing. Momentous if he can win a championship. I mean, he's going to win races. I mean, of that, yes. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Can he win a championship? Well. I think Remains he can. To be I seen. think he can, but it's not going to be kind of like winning twelve races out of twenty. Nope. Or fourteen races out of twenty, or anything like that, like, like he did in the past. Because you right. know, it's it's a different field now. Not to devalue what he did before, because he was absolutely the absolute. You know, he was an apex predator at that yeah. point, and nobody could beat him. But yeah, he, he's going to be tough. To, you know, he's going to be a tough yeah. competitor next year, and he doesn't have. He doesn't have a safety valve, so he's all in, or he's yeah. not in at all. Yeah, and that's dangerous, but it's great to watch. So Marquez would take pole, and then it was all the rain guys showed up. Zarco second, quick right. Bender also a guy good in the rain, right? Yeah, yeah. Was third. Uh, Vinales, who is decent in the wet with the Aprilia, fourth. Martin, then Alicia Spargaro, Miller, Oliveira, Quattararo in ninth again. Not due to the Yamaha's lack of ability to go fast, but due to his lack of a, his. I think Quattraro just basically decided I wasn't going to fall off in this, and we'll just see what comes out of this one. In the race, Miller got a great start. So did Martin, and those two went to the front. And Marquez was there for, at the front to lead a lap or two, and then was take had been taken by Miller, had been taken by Martin. And marched his way backwards to third. Uh, the people who were coming in the race. So let's let's be honest. Miller got to the front, and then Miller put in a dominant performance to win this race. This is the kind of performance I thought we should have been seeing from Jack Miller from the minute he got on the Factory Ducati. What two years ago? Yeah. Like this was a Jack Miller reminiscent to me of when Jack Miller won in Assen on the LCR Honda that, I mean, it was that kind of Jack Miller showed up. I don't know why Jack Miller hasn't been able to show up, but we do know this Jack Miller will in two weeks will be married. He's content in his personal life. He's having a great, he's got a great home life. Now he says everything's clicking for him. It's all going his way. And if the rider's happy, magical things happen. And you pretty much got that. Yeah. So Miller would win the race. Uh, kind of going away. What we were interested in was what was happening behind that. Well, 
Marquez faded back. He got back to as far as fourth place, relatively close to fifth place because Oliveira had gone by. So the KTMs who had started fairly far back came to the front four immediately. Bender being the most obvious of it all, Bender with another great start, Bender having rode through the pack to the point where Bender would actually finish second. So from Aragon, he was third. To now in Motegi, he's second. Anybody want to wonder if Bender winds up winning in, winning in Thailand? I mean, the, the KTM, for whatever reason, they have figured something out. It just seems like whatever they're doing, they obviously have paid no attention to what Oliveira has said. And I think we've we've talked about how I think Oliveira is a decent development rider, but apparently KTM didn't want to listen to what Oliveira had to say about the bike. And Bender, they've gone sort of Bender's way, and it seems to be working all of a sudden. They seem to have found what they needed to have, and they're starting to look good, especially Bender had that ride from where he started running up to second. Martin hung on for third, which was a good thing. But at the end of the race, Oliveira was there. Marquez put a push on. He said, well, my arm wasn't hurting, and it felt good. Okay, that, that, that's like ominous. My arm wasn't hurting, so I decided to go push. <laughs> if, you, if you want mind games, there's where it starts. Yes, yes. Because not only did he say he did it, he then passed Oliveira and pulled away from Oliveira with a few laps to go and rode up to fourth. Was he going to catch Martin? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. He had lost far too much time. But Marquez is just a skosh off the I mean, he was three, roughly three and a half seconds behind Martin. But for Marquez to be that close to a podium, after been, being off for, you know, since May, right? So we're talking having uh, been there for, let's call it nine, nine to five, four months mm, yeah. recovery, yeah. give or take a little bit and come back and be like that. And, you know, you can see his physically his right arm is not have the muscle on it that his left arm does. And then for him to say, well, yeah, now I can ride the bike like I want to again. Mm. That's ominous. And this is in the Teggy gym as well, which is a oh, yeah. hard, hard breaking circuit. Hard, hard, hard break. In fact, this circuit is so hard breaking and so fuel consuming. You saw all the guys go out of the pits on their warm up lap and really put their MotoGP bikes around. What a Spargaro was what tucked under the bubble the whole way. And they were all taking the shortest possible distance <laughs> that they could to get around because it's so you know fuel thirsty from the start stop nature. Yeah. So you know there's got to be some serious braking going on there, and it's Marquez's right arm has to do that braking. And they're talking about braking at almost three Gs. I think Brembo says they they, they consume like almost three Gs of brake force. Nah. That's incredible yeah. for Marquez to be strong enough to be able to do that. You give him you know the off season to train, to ride some more, to to be fit. This is. And if Honda has a bike apparently even remotely close, Marquez is going to be at or near podiums from the word go, which is ominous, I think. Yeah. I want to see it just for the pure, my own personal, you know, I, I'm a Marquez fan. I want to see it. But I just think that this is just, you know, you, you feel like you're on the verge of something special again is where it comes to. Uh, yeah, this so is yeah, kind of, this is um, sort of Ali Foreman kind of yeah. rumble in the jungle territory isn't it if he can yeah uh, if he won another championship i mean just imagine if he did it i don't know it's it'd be ties in with rossi at nine championships mm. right <laughs> they would be tied on premier class they would be tied on premier class titles at seven 
because Rossi had a 125 title and a 250 yeah. title. Yeah. Marquez had a 125 and a Moto 2 title. So, I mean, they would be, you know, the two of the greatest of their of the modern era, potentially. Yeah. I don't know, it's, just, it's just crazy. But then, uh, you know, Marini was sixth and uh, Vinales there. Again, nobody was really paying any attention. Quattro struggled around to become eighth. I don't know why Quattro was struggling so much. Not 100% certain on that. I, Jim, I, I've got the question. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this one. So I guess it's probably a question that you'd have to ask somebody from Yamaha. But why is it that Yamaha have such problems with overheating or, or tyre pressure issues in traffic? Why don't we hear that afflicting anybody else? It all seems to be Quattro on the Yamaha in traffic is front tyre pressure goes through the roof. And I don't understand why that happens. No one, I don't know if this is the answer. This is my theory to why it affects. I think everybody, first of all, let's put this out there. Next year, there is a stock tire pressure sensor that must be fitted to every wheel so that the sanctioning body, the FIM, can look at your tire pressures so that nobody can run a low tire pressure anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's been some, now that's one of the things that maybe why KTM is running better because they're lowering the tire pressure on the front where before they were abiding by the rules. And if you change the tire pressure, you flatten the front tire out, you give it more contact patch, you can brake harder. Quattrell, hard braking, right? Yeah, yeah. That thing. I, everybody's having that problem because of the, the one, you accelerate harder, because you can lower the rear end with a shapeshifter. If you accelerate harder, you can then be traveling at a greater speed at the next corner that you're trying to approach. If you then are behind somebody with the aerodynamics pushing the front tire into the ground, that's more heat being generated in that tire. Then you add on top of that the hard braking, which will put a whole lot more heat into that tire. Because even the guys that make the wheels now are trying to make more, more of a volume of air. So the more air volume that's inside there under the carcass of that tire, the longer it's going to take for it to heat up. Like there's a deep, if you look, there's a deep ridge in the Yamaha tires that it's there specifically to create more volume of air so that the tire doesn't get as hot. You put all that together with the aerodynamics, the squat device, a hard braking that we're now doing because we've tightened up that point to of, of braking. And that's the only places you can get by. And you getting a fact that everybody's affected by it, but the Yamaha's affected more because the V4s are all steering the bike with the back end. Quattro mm -hmm. has to run that that classic line where he runs right to the apex, then rolls off the apex, and it's a big sweeping arcing line to that apex and back again, where he's constantly on the side of the tire. If the shape of that tire isn't correct for him to be able to push and go fast on that line, He's not. he can't turn the bike. Whereas Marquez turns it with the throttle, Ben Yaya turns it with the throttle, Bastianini will turn it with the throttle, Bender rides with the throttle, the V4, all the guys in the V4s kind of turn the bike with the top, with the back end. So right. they don't care about the front so much. So I think that's where it is. Okay, well, that's interesting. Okay, so, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt Oxley had an article about in the tire pressure thing where he kind of goes through all that. So read that on Motorsport Magazine for yeah. that if you want to mm. to have some insight into that. That's kind of where I kind of got it because Matt talks about why all that is there and why it affects the Yamaha more because of the way the tire squishes um, with all that. So that's kind of where I kind of put all that together from. So credit to Matt Oxley on that. 
And Mom actually had a tweet where Mark Marquez says that now uh, MotoGP is Formula One of two wheels that mm. you can't get by anybody because of the shapeshifters, the aerodynamics, and the short braking zone that's there. I mean, that's just not even close, right? Mm. So, I mean, for Marquez to utter those words is scary. I don't really think that that's fair uh, to, you know, and then you got everything else, the, the sprint races and everything else that they're trying to throw at this. It's a little, little scary that the sport that we love and care so much about is, I don't, I don't want to say going in the wrong direction, but has maybe lost their way and doesn't know what to do. So they're just going to throw things at the wall. Yeah, it. I think Marquez's perspective is an interesting one because of the because he's been out of it for you know let's say a year. I know he had a sort of a give or take. A, a kind of he came back, but he wasn't you know the arm wasn't right sort of thing. So it was a shortish return. So but he's been out in that kind of critical year or so when the whole shapeshifter things kind of really got going. Plus the aerodynamics and the sort of the ground effect aero in particular. So for him to come out, I think, you know, as you say, Jim, and say these bikes are very, very, very hard to overtake on now because of these various things that are just cutting the margin so fine now for the overtake opportunity that it makes it not impossible, but very, very difficult and very, very risky. You know, it's an interesting perspective from him because he's recent enough racing to know what the bikes were like a year ago, but that year that he's been out, give or take, clearly things have changed a lot and it's shocked him, which I think is what kind of Matt Oxley was reporting on, wasn't it? Yeah. In terms of that perspective. So that's really interesting. Ooh. Uh, one other thing that we didn't talk about. I don't know if you saw this. It was a David Emmett tweet and it concerns Aaron Kinnett. And it concerns the bow tie. Mm -hmm. So if you follow David Emmett on Twitter, he's find his find this link and it's to uh oh I think it's a Spanish website journalist called AC, where can it explain the bow tie? Well, the bow tie was there, and he was going to take it and break it when he won his first Moto Two race. It's there as a way of showing that he's no different a person if he wears a bow tie than if he doesn't wear a bow tie because it came out that he was refused a couple of rides because he's tattooed all up. Mm. That's not cool. I, you know, my stance, my personal take on tattoos is I'm no fan of them. I've seen maybe four to five people with a tattoo that I've sat there and went, wow, that's really pretty cool either because of what it said or what it looked like or whatever, but Kinnett can do whatever he wants. He has his own thing. But when I look at Kinnett, I get a little weirded out with the whole neck all tatted up in some design. And that's your thing. That's fine. It doesn't change you as a person. It does nothing to do with it. But if things are so corporate that you can't have a tattoo or at least be as inked up as Aaron Kinnett is, that's bad because I mean Fabio's got some ink that I know of, mm. and you know I mean he's got some on his back of his neck, and I know a few of the Moto Three riders. I think uh, Guevara's got sort of the similar tattoo on the back of his neck mm. and all that. I mean if that's where we're going here, where corporate entities are going to start to dictate who has a ride because they're marketable or not marketable based on what they choose to do with their own body. Ooh. 
yeah, I'm not no, so it, sure that I like that. It doesn't really sit well with me either. I mean, I, I'm like you, Jim. I don't personally have any tattoos. I've never particularly had a desire to have one, but that's not to say that I don't, you know, admire the art form. And when they're well mm-hmm. done, they're they're pretty spectacular. Yeah, I mean, Aaron is a very extreme body art person. I mean, there's no getting away from that. And but he's a hell of a writer. Well, I was going to say, you know, I'm, saying, yeah. I'm going to be devil's advocate a moment and okay. sort of say, I could, I, I don't agree. If you know, if he's not getting opportunities because of his, you know, his ink, I think that's just totally wrong. You know, having said that, I think if he was winning twelve races this year, he'd be getting a MotoGP ride offer. So, uh, you know, it runs both ways, right? It runs both ways. You know, he if he was performing better on the track and I'm not having to go at him, but you know, he does have a habit as indeed we saw in Japan of, you know, being out front and chucking it up the road when he just really doesn't need to do that, you know? So I will put myself out there. And so I think, you know, if he'd won 10 races this year, he'd probably have a MotoGP contract already in his back pocket, you know, tattoos or not, yeah. but his sort of, slightly lackluster performance that's probably a bit harsh but you know his inconsistency and his inability to close out race winning opportunities i think maybe just gives people the the option to sort of start pointing at other things about him that you know make him not right to go up but but i you know i, I sympathize with him massively if he, if he feels he's been discriminated against in that way but i think a couple of people it might even have been david emmett on the you know sort of the motor matters website and stuff saying that he probably he might end up in world superbike like a lot of these guys do and that'll be an environment which is more welcoming to him but like you say but i mean fabio's got you know one one arm is completely inked up and you know like most footballers that you see now they're you know they're pretty heavily tattooed up it's really quite a modern sort of resurgence of that art form isn't it over the last 10-15 years Oh, yeah. It would be, would be surprising, but, yeah, I mean, who knows? But, as I say, if he's winning loads of races, I think probably it would be seen as less of an issue. Than he's I'm going to say winning, winning cures all, right? Yeah. I just, you know, I mean, it, again, it it just, I was more like, wow, that's why the, that's why the bow tie was there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not trying to be political here. It's not anything else. It's like, hey, this is why he did it. And if you really, I mean, I have no reason to doubt that he did maybe lose a potential ride or two as a result of having full body art you know i get it yeah i mean i'd be mad too but we've said you know on numerous occasions i mean MotoGP is way too far up its own ass for its own good you know and (laughs) that would be a a classic example of kind of corporate stupidity trumping people with obvious skills you know moving on up to the next stage of their careers and if that's stopping that from happening that's just not right uh, I mean, it's just as simple as that. But I just wish he'd get rid of that bloody awful moustache. I mean, thank, thankfully <laughs> the bow tie's gone, but the tash, that really needs to be next on the chop list as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so we, we missed the main point, I think, here in the race is the fact that Ben Yaya took a run at Quattraro and crashed. Tucked the front. There's a couple of things that we've missed so far, but yeah, yeah this, so is, obvi- this is obviously a big one. Yeah, That's I mean, a big one. We missed that. Because <sighs> um, that changes the championship because that gave Quattraro some breathing room. It gives him an 18 point lead. So this might well be the point where he rude 
who rue the day that he did that one and fell and fell off on that one. Um, but uh, Quattro still is in the driver's seat here on this one, and you have put the cat amongst the pigeons with uh, Marquez on this one. So Van Yaya had a pretty forgettable weekend. Uh, it, it must be said that because. Aragon was the previous weekend and they had to get all the way to Mategi, which is not the easiest place to get to uh, under normal circumstances. Plus, there was a pretty significant typhoon going on as well, which I think slowed things down. So they didn't have any Friday morning practice. They only had one session on the Friday because they built into the schedule that extra half a day in case stuff was delayed arriving with obviously with what was it, Argentina? in mind where yeah they had yeah up, argentina you know, was was a cluster because there's all the logistics issues around that so you know they lost half a day on friday then saturday was completely wet so they didn't banya i don't think ever found a setting on the bike with unlike jack who was like fast right from the get-go so it was just one of those kind of topsy-turvy weekends but you know having struggled his way through to being in what would it have been Jim sort of seventh or eighth probably but directly behind Quattraro on the last yep. lap you know I mean we've questioned Banyai's judgment in all sorts of different ways but quite what the hell he was thinking trying to chuck it up the inside on the last lap in a dicey move like that anyway when he was only going to shed what one or two points probably three points maybe to Banyai maybe yep um yeah he'll probably come to regret that slightly rash decision. But, I mean, the only good news from his point of view is that Quattrara was eighth. So didn't bank a huge number of points. But the other one that we've kind of skirted over, we must just mention, is that the other title contender in all of this, Alessia Spargro, with an open goal in front of him, they had, what would you call it, human error, insofar as the, well, you mentioned it a minute ago, so Mategi is such a fuel-heavy circuit, they send the bikes out with a sighting lap engine map on them so they can only go up to a th- certain amount of revs because they cannot refuel the bikes on the grid. So what they leave the pit garage with in the tank is what they've got. So they run this special engine map around on the sighting lap to save fuel. And for whatever reason the guy with the laptop plugged into the bike didn't switch that map off so that when Aleish went off on the warm-up lap, he had no power. So that's why he came into the pits at the end of the side, oh, sorry, the end of the warm-up lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not in the best of moods, uh, kind of dumped the bike on the ground. <laughs> um, that was panic just to get to the other bike. Uh, I agree. I'd be freaking out too, to try to get there. I would, I'd think, Oh, you got it. I got to go here. And I would have done the same thing. It wasn't intentional. I I'm not suggesting he chucked the bike down in a, in a half, but he, as you say, he didn't have any time to waste, but went out and he was on the soft tyre, which was not the tyre that was on his main bike because you can't go out on the same tyres if you swap bikes. So that kind of screwed his race up before it even started. So he wasn't able to capitalise on, you know, Banyaya and Quattro not banking any points either. So because he came in 16th in the end, so he didn't even score a point, Aleish. Yeah, he was well. He when he started, he was well behind, way behind yeah. the the safety car. Yeah. Like they went through a couple of turns. It wasn't until there, but I mean, if the bikes got cold tires. You got to take. You can't just balls it out of there and toss yeah. it away, which would have been there. You, you hoped he was going to get a point. He didn't. So I mean, yeah, that was just Alicia's. That was a great time because Alicia had a great qualifying. 
So he could have been right there and could have really done some damage and put himself back in the window again. Yeah. And, you know, you you rule the nine points that you lost at Barcelona. Sorry, I hate I hate, don't, I hate dragging that one up again, but yeah, but human error. I mean, human error, it, it and then you're points. only there yeah. at another human error. Which you know, and I'm not saying the mechanic made a mistake, right? But you tend not to see that in the bigger teams because I'm betting that since the team is so small, that the guy who runs that laptop has to do other things on the grid other than just plug that laptop in and make sure that bike is correct. Right. Yeah. He, he may have to, I don't know, bring the tires with him or whatever it is. That can be, you know, that's why these teams are as big as they are. That's why mm-hmm. Honda has so many people and you each have a job to make sure that this doesn't happen and human error caught them. Yeah. But again, maybe it can be the fact that Aprilia is feeling the pressure of being near the top of the table. We haven't seen an Aprilia up here ever right mm. so for them to even be there and be in this fishbowl and under this microscope that everybody's now put them under because they've improved themselves so much you, these things that might have been a small problem become magnified mm. it is something more because we're looking at it differently and we expect more from them let's not forget i mean this is a massive pressure situation we're at the business end of the season they just skipped halfway around the world in a few days so everybody's jet lagged to hell yeah, you know th- this is the sort of stuff that can go wrong. But I think, to be fair to Alicia Spargo, I think once you know the disappointment of what had happened post race had kind of subsided a little bit, I think he was fairly magnanimous about it, and will understand that he also cost himself a similar number of points, as you say, Jim, with that Barcelona error, which was yep. entirely on him when he kind of miscounted his laps. Yep. But will it cost the championship? Yeah, it's, it's probably yep. going to cost them the championship. But I mean. Did they expect to be battling for the championship? I mean, you know, you got to take the good news where you can find it, haven't you? You know, I love the fact that he he did to the team what the team did for him from Barcelona, right? Hey, it's not a base fault. Hugged everybody. Yeah, we did what we could. You know, that's how it should be, right? Yeah. You yeah. get the impression that this is a it's a family, and it really showed, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, no, agree, agree. So, anything else we might have missed from Mategi? I don't think um, so. I think we caught it all now. Other than what, uh, what was it? The Suzuki Mir didn't ride because his, of his ankle injury that he has, and he won't ride in Thailand. Yeah, that's one we got to mention. <laughs> yeah, and so Watanabe like totally torched a Suzuki motor. But that yeah. thing was burning. I don't know what happened to that, but yeah. Ugh. And anyway. Rins had some bike problem which caused him to retire. So yeah, a, a pretty. But they had a new rear arrow seat. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. Why? I don't get Suzuki. You're developing this, but you're leaving at the end of the year. Why are you? Are you spending the money? You're tempted to say, you know, you sometimes you reap what you sow, and Suzuki for for that to be their final race on home soil. Yeah, it was a horror disaster. Show, a horror, a horror show, story, wasn't it? Really, from their point of view, but and. I have to say, as a massive Suzuki fan, I kind of think, well, yeah, you reap what you sow, and um, an ignominious end to what should have been a glorious period for them, really. But, you know, as soon as that announcement happened back in whatever it was, April, May time, it's just been one disaster after another. And it's kind of karma, isn't it, really? Yeah. I think it is. But it's a shame. It's a real shame. So I'm going to use this as a segue 
So the man who will be on Juan Mir's motorcycle in Thailand is none other than Danilo Petrucci. And the supposedly the forecast is for heavy rain. Yeah, all weekend. All weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was a rumor going around at Barber whispers that Petrucci wasn't all in for the championship because he didn't want to fall off because he had the deal to go ride the Suzuki in Thailand. Mm, interesting. Now, I think that's a bunch of bullshit because I watched mm. Petrucci ride and I think Petrucci gave it everything that he possibly had to try to beat Gagne. Okay, the Ducati does not work at Barber and the Yamaha works exceptionally well. Mm. Okay, the Ducati hasn't really been pushed to that level uh, at Barber and Barber is an incredibly technical track. There are so many blind crests and spots where you can't see where things are going that you need the experience to go fast there. And Petrucci couldn't find a setup that worked for him, basically. So in the, you know, <laughs> I guess we can kind of back up a little bit more. We're at the first practice session for the super sports. We're standing in turn three and saw Josh Hayes just high side himself horribly. It knocked him cold. He skittered off to the armco. He luckily he didn't hit it, but mm. he wound up breaking his tibia and his fibia mm. bone in his leg. I don't know if it was left or right. The really funny part was, I can say it's funny now because Josh is okay, but it wasn't funny. Again, it was horrible at the time. We had a lack of any corner worker, anybody going to a rider that was potentially knocked out. Mm. No medical, nothing. Again. Again, and it just, it was absolutely sickening to watch Josh not move. Now, again, I didn't really, I, he could have came too rather quickly. I don't know because he was in the shadow of the trees and with the colors and as far away as we were, it was hard to tell when he started moving. Yeah. The only thing that was, that was thankful was when the ambulance got there and the EMTs actually got there, which they, they. Well, I have no idea why it took them so long to actually put a red flag out for that session was beyond me. When you clearly have a corner worker telling you that you have a severe problem and is signaling for help and you don't do anything. I'm not sure who to blame for that one, but it was infuriating. But one of his crew came up behind us where we were sitting and he asked if we had seen it. And I said, yeah, I told him what had happened. And the next day, Josh pretty much explained almost verbatim what I had said. So I thought that was kind of, I find that funny. Yeah. And I only find it funny because Josh is okay. Yes, he broke his leg, but still it wasn't like he was concussed or had any other massive injuries. He will heal. But he was trying to get on it because he was trying to break the record of 86 wins all totaled in his AMA career Yeah, there. And he wants to put a few more on before Bobier gets back. But <laughs> yeah. Then on that Saturday, the the super the best race, best race of the week, hands down, was the first super sport race at Barber. Okay. Um, basically Heron and the guy on the 750 Suzuki drive yeah, Brian for MGO Suzuki. I can't think of his name. Schwartz, 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 Schwan. It doesn't matter. Can't remember. That's my that's my bad folks. They all started on a soft tire where Rocco Landers started on a harder tire, and the race came to Rocco. And Rocco wound up passing Heron uh, with like a couple laps to go to win the race. So that was a really fun race to watch. It was really, it was the best race of the entire weekend. Yeah. Um, the first superbike race, Gagne won in a walk. Uh, there was nobody that was going to touch Gagne there at all. And then Gagne rode a smooth race in the second one 
to finish second to his teammate, Cam Peterson, who did win there. Again, title clinched by Gagne. Petrucci finished on the podium in third, a distant third, I will yeah. say. And then the super sport race was the only race that was affected by the potential rain that was coming for the weekend. Only the super sport race was affected by it. It rained. I don't know. It's not rain by anybody's imagination, but it, it made the track completely wet. And it was just enough that they had to stop the race that was running prior the Revit twins cup was running just before they had to stop it. Cause they were on slicks. So they had to give time for the super sport riders to get wets on and to have a couple of siding laps. Cause you hadn't seen the track with water on it. Well, some people started on slicks. Some people started on wets. And the question is what was going to happen. Heron was on wets and rode off landers had started on slicks but almost high sided himself so he couldn't catch up but it was that so that race wasn't that great but that's basically what happened at barber mm. if you ever go to a race in america go to barber the track is wicked to watch there's so many great places to sit in the shade under big trees and watch the racing all weekend and not be toasted by the 86 <laughs> degree weather that was down there so it's beautiful. You also must go to the museum that's there at Barber, the Motorcycle Museum. They have some cars and stuff in there now as well. Amazing museum. It's like six levels of motorcycle goodness that is just absolutely beyond. Everywhere you look, there's a motorcycle tucked somewhere. Mm. There was bikes there that I have never seen or heard of before in my life. I got to see Britain up mm. close. Yeah, yeah. They have an NR750 up close. So two of the bikes that, in, for me, from a historical standpoint, are significant pieces of motorcycle kit are there at Barber. And if you go to the museum, try to go on a race weekend because the restoration level, which is at the basement, is open to you to go down and walk through and look at. They uh, Usually, if you just go to the museum on a regular day, you're not allowed to go to that level. And it was amazing. Um, if you ever worked like in a big warehouse, you got those big huge overhead doors that go up to get you from one side of a warehouse to another one or whatever. Yeah. They have one of those that opens up and there, I swear, Rich, there's nothing but big storage racks of motorcycles with tags and bins and bits that all have to be restored yet. Jim's in Hulk heaven. It, it, it was, it was, it was incredible. It, it was absolutely incredible. Um, beautiful time. Had a great time, but yeah, the, the lack of corner working is an issue mm. and the whole Moto America series needs some, some help because one of the best riders in the u.s dallas Dan dallas daniels wants nothing to do with moto america he's dirt tracking and he wants nothing to do with moto america and that's mm. sad just a footnote i mean i watched both of the superbike races from barber on obviously on the tv and mm -hmm. yeah i mean petrucci looked to be trying his damnedest from what i could tell you know i don't think he was holding back too much but you know Gagne's just almost unbeatable really on that yamaha yeah so but yeah really really looking forward to seeing danilo on the suzuki this weekend and as you say jim if it, if it is going to be as wet as the forecast would suggest then i don't think you could necessarily completely rule him out to do well i mean i don't know that he could win but you know right. binder Oliveira, marquez i mean there's a lot of people that will step up you can ride well and wet yeah, yeah and Conversely, you know, your Quattararos and your Banyars are going to be bricking it, probably, not wanting to throw it up the road if it's wet. So, yeah, it's going to be a super interesting weekend, I think, this weekend in um, 
the Buriram, isn't it? I think is the name of the place yeah. where the where the track is. And again, we haven't been there for what three years, I guess. Three years, yeah. So yep. going to be new territory for a few riders, uh, depending on what class they're in. Yeah. Can I just mention BSB? No, please. Quickly, because did you manage to watch I have, the clips? Yes, okay. I've watched the clips. Do, so do you I'm... know the context and what happened in and around it? Or was that all you've seen is the clips? I, all I've seen, all I've seen is the clips. All right. So there's some chaos going on in the second clip. Let I, me let me just do this like, because I how far in are we? Probably. Uh, close to two hours two hours so let's not dwell too long on BSB great weekend at at Alton Park and it's a great great track so this was the first round of the three round showdown so the top Mm -hmm. eight uh, who are sort of duking it out now so in race one which was on Saturday afternoon towards the end of the race I'm not sure if it was the last lap or the penultimate lap but Jason O'Halloran who is was last year's uh, well, no, he wasn't the runner-up, but he was kind of the favourite going into the showdown, and it kind of all just collapsed for Jason. He's certainly in the running this year. He was running in, I'm going to say, about third or fourth place in the race. And Peter Hickman, who is not in the showdown, but he's out racing for his team, and you know he's under contract, and he's there to put in a result. Going into the pretty fast, uh, I think it's Druid's Bend section, he sends it up the inside. Now, this I'm hoping is the first clip that you watched, right? Jim. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he sends it up the inside of O'Halloran. Uh, so O'Halloran is uh on the Yamaha, the McCam's Yamaha, right? Yes, okay. And Hickman's on the inside now, yeah, for whatever reason. I wonder why O'Halloran literally rides into from the angle I saw. Why does he ride into him? Clearly, Hickman has got the spot. And he should have known it. Now, I don't know if there's a depth perception problem based on where the camera is, but then he goes in, you know, they pump, and then it becomes a cartwheel into the gravel trap. And then O'Halloran is just pissed off. Loses it's like his... glove throwing. He loses his yeah, he loses his shit. He I mean, does I'm that sorry, but he thing does. on the next lap when Hickman comes around and it's yeah. you know, O'Halloran's giving it the full beans. And you can, oh, you know, if you've got even the slightest ability to lip read, you know precisely what he's well, yeah, saying. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of working out. Now, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell, man? I'm like, I'm looking at that clip going, I get you're mad and you think you've got been done wrong by Peter Hickman. But <laughs> it's kind of odd. You talk about like unprofessionalism. That's unprofessional. I'm sorry, you can be mad, but go lose your shit behind the closed door of the garage. Mm. Not there where every camera is going on. Because it's you represent that team, those sponsors, and those people there. And I'm pretty sure they probably don't want to be... I mean, I, I love the idea that it's fiery and that it's all ooh, fisticuffs in the background kind of thing. You know, handbags at dawn or however you want to look <laughs> at it, right? But it's like, sometimes... You can be mad and you can kind of be one of these, but you got to leave it there. Okay. Was, was anybody penalized for that? Well, okay. So I, I've just got a couple of things I need to say. So I, I'm a big, big fan of Jason O'Halloran. I think he's a really, really great rider. And I, from what I know of him, he's a really super guy as well. You know, very down to earth, very friendly around the paddock. 
you know, you see him chatting to fans and stuff. So I've got all the time in the world. Well, for pretty much everybody in BSB, to be honest with you. I mean, they're all really great guys. And everything I'm about to say, I say firmly from the point of view of an armchair enthusiast who hasn't raced. Okay, I do ride a motorbike on the road, but as I have some appreciation for riding on two wheels, but I don't race. So I'm not in a position to criticise. And I'm not really criticising anybody, but O'Halloran all weekend did have a slightly wider line through that turn he was kind of almost as if he was going in a little bit slow then apexing it and then fast on the way out i think that was kind of his style around there and as you pointed out jim as far as i read that first incident hickman was basically through mm-hmm. and then jason o'halloran kind of goes for that late apex and tips the bike in and hits the back of hickman's bike and that takes him down you know he goes into the gravel pretty hard you know it's a big crash it's a fast crash they must be doing probably 120 mile an hour at the apex of that corner you know the bike is completely totaled now hickman as a result of that gets disqualified from the race result Hmm. that's a little severe but okay which i thought was a a wrong decision now again i've i've got all the time in the officer at higgs and the race direction of of bsb because they very very rarely if ever make a poor call but i thought that one was pretty marginal in terms of well you can't say, well, he shouldn't be racing O'Halloran because he's not in the showdown. Because, you know, I say he's got a contract. He's races for the FHO team uh, mm-hmm. and he's got a job to do. You know, there was a gap. Uh, he was a bit quicker than O'Halloran, though, and he went through and O'Halloran tagged the back of him and crashed. So, I mean, that was my take. So, anyway, Hitman's disqualified. I think he got a grid penalty as well the following day and or, or, and or a couple of points on his license. But he won't care about that. Anyway, let's go to Sunday. So they've rebuilt the bike yeah. overnight. Yep. Uh, we're into the... Well, I was going to say Sunday morning. It's sort of Sunday lunchtime, race number two of the weekend. Okay. And on lap one or two, same corner. It's, it's Ride, carbon copy. Ridewell goes through on the inside at the same corner because O'Halloran's slightly out wide again. But this time, I'm going to suggest that Tommy dive-bombed him rather and was not anywhere close to being as, as far through as Hickman was the day before and kind of ran O'Halloran out to the grass, which then caused him to crash in, all, as you say, an almost a carbon copy accident. Yep. Uh, O'Halloran wasn't quite as livid in the gravel this time because he was actually quite badly injured. Yeah, he's quite hurt. He looks like he's hurt He, he was bad. hurt. Uh, and I mean, I'm happy to report that he is riding this weekend at Donington Park. Not to say he's fully fit, but he's, you know, he wasn't seriously injured from it. Bridewell, who... That was a very, very, very unusual overtake for Tommy Bridewell because, if anything, he's been guilty or, or certainly accused of being far too polite on track in the past and sort of not going through for gaps when people thought perhaps he might have had a chance to do so. So he, it was a bit of a sketchy move. He got effectively a ride-through penalty for that. So we disqual- we disqualify Hickman, but we give a ride-through penalty to Bridewell. Yeah. Rival had no business being where he was. He did not have anywhere near as much distance as Hickman had on it. Hickman was clearly there. Yeah. This one, no. And so then as soon as O'Halloran comes in to make his apex, his knee hits the front end of Bridewell's bike, which causes Bridewell to lose traction a little bit, causes him to stand it up, stands both bikes up. Yeah. Well, from the look of it, it's not a very wide circuit there at no, it's not. Park. There's not, there's not it much looks room. a little looks yeah. like by that point and that speed, they're at a distance. And Brywell is lucky to continue on, and then boom, you know, the massive crash happens again for 
that. That's and you get a ride free for that one. That's wow, they're reversed in my mind. The, the, okay. kick, <laughs> the kick in the balls from O'Halloran's point of view was that although Bridewell had been served, I'm pretty sure it was a ride through penalty. Immediately as that happens, you get all this other there's a sprinkling of rain and you get this other crash, which you probably saw. Yeah, I was wondering what else with all these other crashes. It didn't goes happen. down. Roy Skinner goes down. They take Carl Ryder out. So carnage. So it's a red flag. Tommy Bridewell then has, uh, I think, a few places dropped on the grid for the restart as his penalty. It's kind of switched. And he then goes on to finish second. And then he goes on to win the third race of the day later in the afternoon with O'Halloran being out. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, I thought wow. that the penalties were around the wrong way. And just very, very, very rarely, race direction and BSB got themselves, I'm going to pull out my favourite word, they got themselves in a bit of a pickle on this one. Yeah. And they copped a lot of bad sort of uh, comments, again, goes without saying, on social media. In fact, uh, I'm social media is just a, a vile cesspit <laughs> of, of vapid idiots um, most of the time. But but I happen to think that in this particular case, yeah, it was a, it was a put some poor decisions got made uh, and it was just so rare. So it was interesting to see what your take was, just to, if you kind of thought the same way that I did, which was that the Hickman move, whilst it was hard, I thought fair. it was pretty fair. Yep. You know, racing. Whereas the bridal one, I thought was by far and away the sketcher of the two. And it was one that went relatively less punished. And I just thought that was very, yeah, very odd. I agree with you. The, the boys will go to Donington. Now, um, O'Halloran is riding. Taz McKenzie had a crash, got run into, unfortunately. So he broke his femur. So he's out for the rest of the season. So that's mm. one of the showdown contenders gone. Christian Iden uh, was concussed. So he's out. Rory Skinner, who was very lucky not to lose his jewels because he actually, you need to sort of look at it online, Jim, and find some different angles. But he actually kind of went, it was almost sat on the back tire of Iden's Suzuki and sort of kind of got pulled along under the bike. His legs were all caught up in it. You could probably mm. see as the bikes came to rest. So how he didn't lose his, um, you know, his, his, his childbearing capabilities. Uh, <laughs> luck, luckily for him, he's been past all fit. And they did actually make a slight joke of the fact that he was still capable of having children as <laughs> after all of that. But he's got a broken hand. So it's, it's carnage in, in BSB at the moment. You know, three, I think, of the showdown contenders are out. Wow. With Donington this weekend to go and then Brands in a couple of weeks. So Brad Ray, who is, you know, by far and away out front at the moment, had a relatively speaking trouble free weekend, one one race and had a few kind of um, cold tear issues on his rear tire, I think, in the other two races, but still scored good points. So he's definitely the man to beat. But yeah, quite mm. a quite an exciting weekend, all told. Yeah. So it was kind of like Super September weekend this weekend, one that just gone because yeah. we had MotoGP, BSB. We haven't even talked about World Superbike. We'll park that for another time because that was great in Barcelona. And obviously uh, your Barber Motorsport Park in Alabama. So um, moving on to Thailand this weekend for MotoGP and Donington Park for BSB again. So another fairly busy weekend. Yep. Yeah, it's busy, 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 guys. Yep. But it's the end of the season. So we'll have to wrap this up because everybody, this is a long one. And we've yeah. got another one coming right after that. So well, Making up for lost time on this one, Jim. Making up for lost time there. Yeah. <laughs> all right everybody hope you enjoyed the show it's a long one hopefully there was some good content in there for you and until we get, meet again after thailand ride safe thanks everyone see you next time